Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories featuring the biggest news of the week. On Monday morning's Good Morning Britain, Piers Morgan was boldly denying Meghan Markle's claim that she had thought about committing suicide. One studio storm off and 41,000 Ofcom complaints later, he was gone. After a whirlwind 48 hours, we welcome Beck 2 head Philippa Childs to the news wrap this week to dissect what this means for ITV and talk about the broader campaign to end bullying in the TV sector. All that, plus what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. And so we're delighted to welcome Philippa Childs onto the news wrap this week. It's uh, Philippa is the head of broadcasting union Bechtu. She's been central figure in the TV sector's fight to end bullying long before a man called Piers Morgan stormed off his stage earlier this week. Philippa, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Good stuff. It's a pleasure. So very, very briefly, for anyone not familiar with what's taken place this week, Piers Morgan has stepped down from a five-year stint as the co-host of Good Morning Britain. Piers vaguely attempted to row back on Tuesday morning's episode of GMB, but he ended up storming off stage after being criticised by Alex Beresford. Uh, And if you haven't watched the clip, you really should. ITV announced he was leaving later that day, shortly after Ofcom revealed it would be investigating GMB. But the broadcaster ITV, which is currently running a Get Britain Talking mental health campaign, didn't say too much beyond a two-line statement. And I think that's something that we'll be talking about. So it's clearly it's clearly been a bit of a week. Philippa, I'll bring you straight in. Were you surprised by the chain of events that I've just described that took place between Monday morning's GMB and, and Piers Morgan standing down later on Tuesday? I'm not sure that I was surprised, actually, because of the you know, the, the veracity, the veracity of the comments that he made. And to suggest that somebody who has spoken out about their mental health problems to the extent that they considered suicide, you know, is a, is a fairly extreme thing to do. So I, I can't say that I am surprised, given what's happened over recent times. Did, did you expect that peers would leave, though? Is, is that kind of how you thought that it would play out? Or are you expecting a kind of another outcome from, from ITV? I think that presumably part of their consideration was that ultimately no individual is more important than the brand. And I think this has been part of the problem around the, the various controversies uh, surrounding peers over recent weeks, not least the uh, situation that arose a few weeks ago where 1,200 freelancers wrote to ITV about his response on Twitter to a comment from Adil Amini about whether or not he would want to work on a show involving peers in, in the future. And I think the whole issue around bullying and harassment and, in fact, mental health across the uh, industry, that they're, they're so huge at the moment. And I think, you know, you only have to look at the film and TV charity research into mental health in the industry, which shows that it, you know, it, it's much greater across the industry than it is elsewhere in society for everyone to think about or or for everybody to really think that they should be focusing on the issue of mental health, how they make working life for freelancers better in the industry and really about, you know, 
giving everyone dignity at work, whether they're a freelancer or an employee or whatever. And so I think the whole dynamic of someone who is, is you know, as, as powerful as peers um, responding to someone who is a freelancer within, within the industry in such an unpleasant way sort of suggested that things were going badly wrong anyway and that, that at some point ITV would have to address his position on the show. But in keeping with that, Philippa, it's interesting you mentioned that. With that in mind, if there had been a kind of a collection of things brewing, were you surprised that ITV weren't more on the front foot? Should they have been more on the uh, front foot? And I suppose because they haven't necessarily addressed it post his resignation, what opportunity do they have to put a, you know, make a strong stance on this or make a a stance on this, you know, a proper stance on this? I think they should have been more on the front foot and I, and lots of people were, including me, were very disappointed at their response to the letter from the freelancers. I mean, you can con- contrast that with the uh, swift action that Channel 4 took recently as well in parting the wet, parting company with um, Ant Middleton and making it clear that it was about his behaviours uh, and not, not about social media posts that 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 was the reason that that they parted company so yes I am disappointed that ITV haven't been more clear and more outspoken about you know what resulted in what 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 caused their decision this week from what we've seen quite clear that there were lots of people involved in the program who've been unhappy in recent times about peers behavior and I would imagine that the atmosphere has not been good. And and it is, you know, I go back to what I said earlier. Uh, I think he had become too powerful and it was all about him and not about the show anymore. Is there a concern that people that Beck2 represents that, as you mentioned about being too powerful, that if there's a groundswell of opinion on this and there's been, a you know, the letter sent orchestrated by a deal that you know, that, that there is, there is a, there's more than just, it's more than just an ITV problem. There's a, there's a problem across the board and, and people don't feel empowered, even in this stage, you know, period where people should feel more empowered to speak up. Yeah, definitely. I think the pandemic has caused freelancers in particular to, to really reflect on their place within the industry, the, the treatment that they experience, the long hours that they experience and, and some of the um, unacceptable behaviours that they experience and you know we are currently getting more calls about bullying and harassment across the industry than about any other subject and I don't think that's a coincidence. Our unscripted branch launched Unseen on Screen and some of the stories that we were that our members were sharing with us were really uh, extremely disturbing and so I think we are at the point where we are saying some serious action needs to be taken across the industry and all parts of the industry have to work together to resolve this issue. So, you know, it's, it's not just about platitudes or statements or policies anymore. Actually, we have to take real actions to, to change the situation for freelancers. Do you think it's a, it's a help that the, the Piers Morgan debacle has happened or, or, or is it a hindrance? Like when I think about your what you're trying to do with unseen on screen and and the wider attempts to tackle bullying in in a variety of different ways across the industries does this almost become too much of its own big thing that it that it kind of hinders the the greater goal well 
I certainly don't want the whole story to become about Piers Morgan mm. and whether or not he's an asset or, or, or not to the industry, because it's it's not just about him. There, there are examples across film, TV, broadcasting uh, more generally. So what I want to see coming out of it is, is not a witch hunt, but a, a, a real concerted effort by all mm. of those involved to really think about how do individuals particularly if they feel vulnerable because they're freelancers and they don't, you know, they don't want their name trashed across the industry. How can they safely report incidents and be confident that they will be dealt with effectively? And what do you say? I'm, I'm slightly playing devil's advocate here, but what, what would you say is the difference, for example, between what Piers did on Monday that has caused him to leave for, for whatever reason and whatever chain of events and say the incident with a deal a few weeks ago during which, like you pointed out, over a thousand people signed an open letter to Carolyn McCall and Kevin Ligo. But at that point, it, it felt to me like Piers Morgan was kind of just brushing that aside. There, there appeared to be no apology and he, and he actually ended up double, double downing on Twitter. So what, what's the difference? And, and what would you say to people who just say it's it's him being him he's a free speech warrior he's combative etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah well I, I don't accept that that anyone has the right to bully another human being in the workplace. And I don't think, you know, he's, he, he's certainly not alone in this. You know, if I talk to our members who are freelancers, they, you know, they all know people who behave badly. They all know the what the people that they would want to avoid working with. And, that uh, you know, it, it's a it's a closed secret across the industry. And, and I think what we want to make sure is that this doesn't become about an individual personality, but that it is about making real change for everyone who works across across the industry. I wondered off the back of the closed secret element, sometimes it, it feels quite interesting that a lot of people know exactly who that individual is and it's kind of common knowledge. How, how do we go about kind of getting everyone behind reporting these issues and seeing them happen and escalating that rather than it being on the individual say who's experiencing it because each time everyone hears of somebody it's kind of been a known fact that it's been going on for a long time i think i think it's a real complex issue isn't it because if you for example were trying to deal with or, try, or trying to ensure that there was no bullying on on the set of a, a huge production then there will be you know potentially you've got enough people there that, that everyone will know who they should go to you know then there'll be a process and all of those sorts of things I think when you're talking about smaller productions particularly maybe unscripted types of productions that when you, you might have many less people involved then it's more complicated and all of the broadcasters say uh, well we've got our reporting lines that ultimately if people feel that they're not being treated well they can report to our reporting lines but what freelancers tell me is that they don't know what happens with the information they report they're not confident that their reports are taken seriously or that they are investigated and sometimes that they just don't trust the reporting lines that, that they don't know whether or not they're going to be named or you know their and their rep, their reputation within the industry is going to be impacted so i think there isn't a, an easy there isn't an easy answer but i think we really do need to look at Reporting mechanisms, which from from my point of view, I want to make sure that we we make a, a difference. So I want these problems to be nipped in the bud at the you know the first opportunity at the lowest possible 
point rather than having to be you know continually escalated and then I guess the broadcasters have to be encouraged to speak out about bad behavior where where they find it and obviously it's difficult for them if they're parting company with someone likewise the indies but I think there has to be more transparency because only by having more transparency will people feel confident that the industry is taking it seriously and that they can report bad behavior without you know without it impacting them in the longer term so last week last friday in fact ian katz sent round uh email to top talent basically saying that channel four won't tolerate bullying or aggression especially on social media i kind of wondered that was quite a quite a definitive this is our approach and arguably channel four the only broadcaster that have made a statement as such and i, I kind of wondered what the other broadcasters were doing in this space, um, obviously ITV haven't made comment, but the likes of BBC and Channel 5, does anyone have any insights on, on what the others are up to? Well, all of the broadcasters are part of the Coalition for Change and the concept behind that is is a conversation about how we make life better for freelancers across the industry so I guess those conversations are you know I've no doubt that the individuals who are involved in the coalition for change discussions have a commitment to try and make things better but I think you know from my perspective it was that statement last week from channel four was really welcome and I would like to see other broadcasters doing you know, setting out quite clearly what their approach is and saying, you know, in in a public way that they're not going to tolerate bad behaviour. Was it enough that it just went to uh, on-screen talent? I guess. I think that was more off the back of Aunt, Aunt Middleton, wasn't it? But I guess the message would have got across anyway. I mean, if you're saying to your top talent, we're not accepting this behaviour, then you're really saying to everyone who's involved in making those productions that you're not accepting that um, bad behaviour. But yeah, I, I do I do think it's important that these messages come from the top and that broadcasters stop being quite so risk averse about what they're saying about, you know, incidents of bad behaviour. I think something that was interesting about the, the Pierce case, and it's horrible that it happened this way, but because he said it to the public, as it were, it was a public statement of disbelieving someone's mental health struggles. It had to 1.9 million people, who, however many people it was. That was a public platform for everyone to get involved. If you're an individual, perhaps, you know, a freelancer as well, with the, the, the fewest amount of, you know, job securities and things in your space, to be then suddenly see a, a you know a, a case of bullying harassment on a one to one you you have to weigh up and I, pres- I I'm and Philippa correct me if I'm wrong you have to weigh up if is that worth you losing your job I mean are they going to believe you that kind of thing for everyone to see it happen so flagrantly was perhaps useful because it uh, and then 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 we can start a conversation about changing it from those reporting lines as you as you as you rightly point out Philippa. I think you're right, absolutely right. People are frightened to report. They are scared without a shadow of a doubt. And anything that encourages them to speak out and to feel confident to be able to to do so is is a positive thing. Off the back of the Anne Middleton case, I mean, again, it was one of those times where maybe something else was going on behind behind closed doors, but that it was his persona on social media that escalated the case and that's again maybe feeding a bit more into these are easier to weed out from on-screen talent that have a persona on social media that maybe winds them in trouble but then it's like where's the off-screen 
where are the people how how is that displayed whereas in it and was easier to pull out because everyone in the public was was privy to seeing it so the the talent is kind of easier to weed out in a way yeah you're you're right but in the same way that there there are closed secrets about on-screen talent there are also closed secrets about people off screen too so I think all of these incidents and, and you know really positive to see broadcasters where they've taken action I think will help build confidence for people to be able to talk about the issue talk about uh, the behaviours and and the solutions I guess. One thing that you raised earlier, um, Philip, which I was interesting, you mentioned about the things that Bechtu is doing it at the moment and the, the you have some work going on in the unscripted space. I mean, obviously, this, this is a very delicate situation, so you know, shut me up immediately if I, if I, if I overset the mark. But are there, you know, the, the examples of bullying that you've been given? Is, are you able to kind of share a few of those examples of, to, to give an insight to people who might be suffering the same thing, but not necessarily recognising that it's bullying harassment? I think there's, a, there's still a lot of uncertainty over what constitutes it, and that shouldn't be, and there should be more clarity and transparency, as you said. I don't know if you can share some of those kind of experiences. Sure. Well, I think they've ranged from, you know, quite severe cases of individuals being shouted at and belittled and so on, right through to sort of, you know, more more low level bullying. So constant criticism, not being given credit for good work being excluded from conversations all of those sorts of things so I think unfortunately the cases have run the full gamut but but what what they have in common I think is the impacts on the individuals which have really I think everyone who spoke to us has really suffered as a result of these instances it has impacted their mental health it has impacted their self-confidence and has really made them think about, you know, their future in the industry and whether whether that's something they want to continue to experience in their working lives. Yeah, it's so, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because there can be such a fine line between both what a person perceives to be bullying or, or what can kind of fall within that definition. And, and I've been having a few conversations recently with, with people who talk a lot about what you just alluded to, Philippa, which is... Um, emotional manipulation in the sense of either not dishing out praise at all or making somebody feel incredibly valued one second and then using that power should a, a day afterwards or, or a week afterwards to really belittle somebody to the point where m- much much beyond kind of what, what I've heard about before but it, it sounds again like something that's so difficult to root out and something that if there was a better procedure in place might be able to find it but at the moment with with those kind of um procedures that aren't aren't really rooted in formality is is like quite difficult to quite difficult to report yeah i agree i think everyone across the industry right now is thinking about this issue and mm. talking about this issue and thinking about what can be done in, in as i say quite a complex industry with lots of freelance workers lots of uh, indies of various sizes and so on to have a really effective strategy for tackling the issue and certainly we've been talking to the film and tv charity to bfi and bafta to pact to the whole industry really about what are the practical solutions that we can put in place that will be effective that will set a standard 
of behavior that we expect everyone in the industry to comply with and then to have effective mechanisms for calling it out when when things go wrong on a production and and what are some of the other big big issues that you're either working on philippa or or a spotting i know you've you've been doing loads of work on on unseen on screen and bullying something we've talked about a lot so far this year um are there other big issues that you're that you're currently dealing with Yes, well, obviously, there's there's quite a lot going on across the creative industries at the moment. I guess less less of an issue in broadcasting because lots of people are back at work, but there are still lots of freelancers across mm-hmm. the industry who have had no financial support during the pandemic, and those that are still not back at work are obviously really struggling. And you know, undoubtedly, it has had an impact even in broadcasting. When we we're just drawing to a conclusion, actually, a a survey of our members across the whole range of the industries looking at how the last year has impacted them in a financial sense but also in many other ways as well so I've I've no doubt that will show some very interesting findings when when that's published. Well look thanks thanks so much for uh, for joining us Philippa we we couldn't quite let you go without asking you our favorite question to ask all of our guests what what you've been watching Uh, so, so what have you been watching on tv this week Philippa? Well, I watched Behind Her Eyes uh, last weekend, which was Netflix one. Creepy, yeah, very creepy. Certainly, very creepy. And of course, I'm I'm enjoying Unforgotten and Bloodland. So yeah, I like a good drama. I think it's fair to say. (laughs) I was um I was I must confess to being disappointed that I had to wait till Tuesday to watch Unforgotten. Um, after the uh, the Meghan Markle interview, but I'm sure the whole nation enjoyed that one. The, on Bloodlands, I, I'm I'm watching that as well. I just I I I end every episode going what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> there there are about a million story threads and different changes. I, I, it's very Jed Mercurio, but he's just like poured. They seem to have poured all. <laughs> of different strands in together and they're just going to let it all play out I, I i can't see i can't i don't even know how i could i can't even conceive how it will possibly end i mean i suppose that's why line of duty is so compelling but <laughs> bloodlands bloodlands feels all over the place yeah 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 really really great and james nesbitt as usual is uh fantastic in it too yeah and of course we are all looking forward to the next line of duty which is not not uh not too far away is it 10 days i think counting them down yeah 21st of march right oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've drama. still never seen it line of duty. wow what i know i know i need to get on it you've got yeah. a big back catalog to go through <laughs> you better, yeah, I've heard better hurry up <laughs> i think what was really refreshing about um behind her eyes was you know that i don't think any of us saw that twist coming but it, the way that it unfolded was quite really clever but also quite yeah scary fascinating well i've not seen that either uh but it sounds like that comes that comes highly recommended look philippa it's been uh, it's been brilliant having you on thank you so much for uh for joining us providing such insight at such short notice we really appreciate it thanks so much you're very welcome So that was Philippa Childs, the, the head of Broadcasting Union, Bechtu. But John Elms and, and Hannah Bowler are still with me. I think there are some more questions to be asked uh, that kind of post-peers questions uh, related to what ITV are going to do around new presenters. There's clearly now a big, like, prime-time, daytime presenter slot for somebody to replace peers. There's also the future of 
Piers Morgan's Life Stories, the, the documentary strand, which is produced by multi-story media. So it's a different producer there. So it gets, gets a little bit complicated. But uh, jo John Elms, what kind of person do you think that they'll be looking to replace Piers Morgan with, not necessarily naming any names, but the style of presenter? I mean, this this is a tough one because obviously I think part and parcel with the the reticence from ITV. I mean, I, I'm, this is a bit of a speculation, but he was a ratings driver for them. So they would have, execs high up would be thinking, uh, you know, we've got a person who draws ratings in who now, you know, I think his position is was untenable personally. You know, the, that he's gone is is right he was the combative style worked it, it it really worked for gmb because it cut through when he was interviewing politicians matt hancock particularly received a lot of his ire and i think he was you know lauded for praise in some areas for for holding those people to account and speaking mm. you know really tying them up in knots and making the politicians who have who he's, he's supposed to you know really really squirm and i think the, the tradition in uk british tv media has been we we like presenters who can do that especially with politicians who sometimes get an easy ride on some in some cases so i think some combative nature will be important but occasionally he would speak in in with such superiority and you know my opinion is correct that you know that led him clearly into hot water because i don't think he necessarily thought what he said was wrong i mean you could tell that from when he railed back the next day he, you know his defense of it was he was saying something else so i mean i've i've seen an article about various various replacements uh, a few of whom are on the Good Morning Britain team already or past past presenters like Ben Shepherd. I personally don't watch it as often as 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 your next person along. I, I, so I, I wouldn't necessarily know who would be, but I think a mix of combative and sympathetic, being able to at least turn, you know, put people under pressure, a, a very strong interviewing style is is needed, but also because that, you know, that will drive ratings. Mm -hmm. Commercial way of looking at it, but I'm sure ITV were considering that you know that you know ratings are still what drives people's you know interest and and, and importance in 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 the TV world. I was going to say to add, it still has to be the anti BBC Breakfast, like it has to be the opposite to that to to make it have a unique selling point. So I think that that's something. It, it, I feel I imagine they feel like they can't go too soft on a presenter. Also, you know, Susanna Reid's there, and Susanna Reid was often the diffuser of, of, of um, Piers Morgan's, you know, ire, or at least if he if he kind of veered into a territory that people found distasteful, she would she would bring him back from what from what I've seen. So agreed. I think that you know the the personality that they had, the kind of the relationship rapport that they had worked because they were slightly different they approached it slightly differently probably someone to be with Susanna Reid on the commentative style would, would would work but you know who knows maybe 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 this could herald a, a way to into a different different format for GMB I, I doubt it I expect they'll probably want to get someone of a similar 
nature in terms of their style not not what they say obviously clearly they don't want the same because that would just they'll just be going through they'll be going through presenter after presenter after presenter because people will say the wrong things so but definitely someone with a bit of bite there were definitely questions raised in like in the aftermath of kind of Susanna getting often talked over and kind of obviously all of this came out around International Women's Day and a lot of the comments about Piers in that one moment was talking over his female colleague and it'll be interesting to see if they pick someone that can kind of give give her more of a voice rather than kind of constantly be kind of shouted over so I'd, I'd be interested from that on that perspective. Mm. I always found it interesting how it Susanna broadly seemed to really enjoy the way that that relationship worked even though again I don't watch GMB an enormous amount but it did seem so often like uh, peers would be uber combative and and talking over her and she would being the diffuser I can't imagine would ever be that fun but but I think that that role really worked and it really worked for ITV I was looking at some ratings uh, earlier this week and it, it, its share has just repeatedly gone up to the point where so when he joined when Piers joined it was getting around 15% of of morning viewers and that's now at around 25 and 16 to 34 share has gone up even more dramatically so it's a difficult time for ITV I don't know it's quite a cynical cynical way of thinking about it to think that it was ratings that meant that their statements have been both quite woolly and that they weren't prepared to be the ones to push Piers Morgan out the door but but I was interested what you were saying John about last summer I don't think there are many people from who see themselves any side of the political spectrum who weren't in some way impressed with the way that Piers Morgan responded to the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic like I was definitely impressed by it and it got to the point where politicians boycotted GMB wasn't it it was like the way they were behaving towards the Today programme in, in the earlier part of the year. And that's because he, he was asking the right questions. Like I watched a couple of those videos and he was clearly channeling his energy into something that really worked for the country as a whole. And I, I read this really good, just to plug The Guardian, I read this really good profile that Simon Hattonstone did of Piers about six months ago. And a big feature of it was that Piers just at all times feels like he has to be combative. And so it just depends where he's channeling his energy. And he really acknowledges in this interview that like he knows he can go too far. He gets bored and he needs like a purpose. So when it's calling out the government, when you feel like the government is not responding to a pandemic in the way it should, he's so well placed to to be the presenter to lead on that but then suddenly when you know at, at the moment <laughs> whatever anyone says the the government's having all this success with the vaccine rollout and it's a lot harder to be critical so then suddenly more trivial things get get to the end of his ire and i think in the in this profile the the um incident with the penguin when he said that he would identify as a penguin when he was talking to a non-binary person and it, and it was i mean it was just mean like i don't know how many ofcom complaints that attracted but that was something where he just couldn't keep his mouth shut and obviously he's it's not like anyone was really calling for him to leave after that but it will be interesting to see if they can find a presenter with that magical mix of combativeness, but kind of sensitivities who speaks to all kinds of demographics and, and can uphold those ratings. And off the top of my head, I struggle to think of somebody with those qualities, but who knows? Yeah. When you first asked the question, I was like, 
I actually can't tell you who. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the morning TV is well. For a start, it's very important to the the demographic that watch it. I mean, I don't watch morning TV, and I think that's possibly because my parents didn't let me when I was a child. So now I just don't do it in the morning anyway. I am. I'm a big fan of BBC Breakfast every morning. Have a cup of tea. Well, let's see. Eat maybe, breakfast, maybe watch BBC. Watch breakfast TV. Maybe Got maybe I sh- maybe I should be watching it. I should watch it more. Again, it's yeah, it's it's as you say. I think, I think the the what is clear in presenting now, or what seems to be presenting, is you can't to have too much polarization on one side or the other is problematic for a broadcaster because they either don't you know say enough and therefore don't drive interest, or they say far too much that's wrong. You shouldn't say wrong things anyway. So I think this is a bit of a moot point. So that that example that you gave about the penguin is again classic. Like that's just can't say that. You can't shouldn't be able to say that on on TV. And uh, the things he said on uh, about Meghan Markle were horrifying. Like horrifying. And then there's also Piers Morgan's Life Stories documentary series that that he's been hosting for a few years now. Hannah, what do you reckon to the future of Life Stories? Well, it's only just started back its current run, I think, a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago. So it's currently running out. So I I guess it will play out this season because it's recorded. But it will be interesting on that one because, if anything, Piers Morgan's Life Stories is probably the one show that he does or the one time you see Piers where he isn't as combative and he's quite relaxed. He's quite sensitive, like he can often grill a little bit, but actually he handles that show with quite a lot of care. So it'll be interesting to know if if ITV will just feel the pressure to drop him or whether they'll look at each individual case they have his in a different setting and, and measure it on that basis. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to know. And then I, I guess the bigger thing with uh, Piers is where does he go now? Like where, where is his life outside of ICB? Mm. I think you're right. It is, it is slightly different. And it, it would almost be his choice, life stories. It feels like it's again in, in his hands. Where does he go? John Elm's woke watch, Andrew Neal's <laughs> GB News woke watch. Uh, yeah, I would be phenomenally surprised if I don't see him at one of these two new news channels for the coming months. That's GB News and News UK, which will both have launched before the end of this year. John, do you share my thoughts? It is. I, it, it, they seem both seem likely destinations for him. If you know, because they'll provide a platform to be able to, you know, for him to be put, bring his presenting style again back back yeah. to back to what he wants. There's uh, <laughs> obviously they. I don't think they anticipated necessarily that he was going to leave. GMB right now. I mean, GB News is recruiting, busily recruiting its on-screen talent and off-screen talent. News UK also, you know, bearing in mind, I've spoken to both of their program chiefs in recent weeks about who they're bringing on. I think GB News might might be a likely spot. I mean, I wasn't the one to broach this on Twitter afterwards. I didn't actually mention it. I was just thinking about it. And then a load of people who I follow on Twitter said, I'm sure he'll turn up at GB News. So the court of public opinion has put him firmly on the uh, on-screen talent of GB News. And, you know, he's a big fish, you know, given who they've, you know, these people are lining up, these these channels are lining up, some really high profile, high profile talent is important for these, for these channels. So 
there will be conversations. I, you know, I read, I read that um, News UK TV had had conversations with him a, a while back. So, you know, that there, there is clearly some some movement there as to whether whether, whether he turns up. You know, these GB News plays their cards very close to their chest, as I'm sure News UK will be. You know, up until the point that they want to announce them. But if I think Noel have definitely looked on that with interest. I mean, who wouldn't? Because you like what this this bit of talent who is inspires the spiky combative debate that he brought to GMB. That's what they're looking for on their programming. That's what GB News has said they want as part of their you know their programming lineup. And Andrew Neil said it on the media show yesterday. What you want to provide something different to Sky News and BBC News. So I wouldn't be surprised if they they'll at least show an interest. I'm hedging all my bets. I'm putting my life savings on it. And I think it was probably partly, I don't, he, you know, he's been at GMB for nearly six years. And I think it might have been partly a driving motivator of him leaving. Like, does he really need all the aggro that surrounds what's happened this week? I think he just knows that he can walk into a really, for him, what will be a really interesting job with two new guys. He's worked in America before. He knows how that all works. And as, as we've covered, as, as you in particular, John, have been covering GB News and News UK channels over the weeks, with the way that regulation works in this country, there's no reason why there can't be a combative Piers Morgan hour that is balanced out by a combative hour from, from somebody else. So it's not like he would have to completely rein himself in. The regulation is ever so slightly complicated. So let's, let's see what happens. But yeah, I might, might be my life savings. Be, be funny if he went to BBC Breakfast. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that's yeah. not going to happen. That's Can't. what I put my life savings on. Yeah, <laughs> you'd love it, Hannah, with your cup of tea. And now we move on to our second What We've Been Watching of this particular podcast. It's What We've Been Watching. John Elms, what's been on the box? Well, I referenced it slightly earlier. I, I've been watching Bloodlands on BBC it's last episode is this Sunday and I'm intrigued. It, it's, it's really, it's genuinely all over the place. Like it's, it's got so many different strands and I feel like there's, I, I don't want to, re- I can't reveal anything because I'll, I'll, I'll do spoilers, but things have happened that you go, well, hang on. Isn't that like, are we now just watching the ending already play out? I don't know. Um, so I've been watching Bloodlands and binging my way through um, the last series of the Sopranos, which I hadn't, ever watched which i think is anathema to most of the tv world you know everyone's seen the sopranos but i hadn't so i've been binging on that and i've got like a few episodes to go and it's i've never seen the sopranos i I need to finish it i lost my i had them on dvd and i lost my dvd remote and i'm like i don't know how to watch it anymore hannah what have you been watching i just finished the great the hulu Channel 4 import. Oh, it's so good. And I've like taken the time, just carve a little hour for myself out to just sit and watch it and enjoy it. And it's Mm -hmm. really funny. Nicholas Holt is really good. Like, I hope he wins some stuff for that because he's hilarious. But yeah, it's just, yeah, big fan. And then I'm actually just started watching Spaced. I've never seen it before. And I walked past the house the other day. And I was like, oh, I recognise that I know that that's the house from space. Maybe I'll just sit down and watch it. So I've been watching that and, oh, man, really enjoying it. It just, it's well random. Didn't expect it, but I wish it's, more because I'm like, there's only two and then I'm done. It's one of those perfectly formed comedies that lived in its space, didn't do too much, left people wanting more 
and is absolutely phenomenal. Max, you always ask your contributors to the podcast to ask about what we've been watching, but you haven't had a, had one for a while. So what have you been watching? Come on, <laughs> come on, Dish. Dish, not very much. I finished, well, I, I watched the Harry and Meghan interview. Let's talk about that. That's that was true. good. We did I get was, to talk about that. I was really looking forward to that. And then I feel like it's been overshadowed by certain events that have dominated this podcast. It was good. It was funny to watch a very American style interview in the UK, I would say. Like if that was in the UK, that definitely would have only been an hour, but it was yeah. nearly yeah. two, wasn't it? And I think the the commercial breaks in the US showing would have been insane. Like there must have been like a million commercial breaks. I've never seen an extended Oprah interview and I just think she's masterful. Like I was just so impressed because yeah. I know it was a little bit, she's obviously like got this relationship with Harry and Meghan and she wasn't exactly like, pushing their backs up against the wall but the way that she kind of like allowed them to speak I really enjoyed and it's kind of like she can just just with like a facial expression she can usher in like an emotion or, or another comment from them so I, th well, I thought it was I thought it was really good my favorite line from it is when it's so cringy when Harry said when it, clearly he was alluding to the fact that they didn't have any money well or were gonna run out of money and he said somebody suggested the streamers which yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite line I was like had you, had you not heard of them before and, and god how how cringy is this I imagine all of these tv producers that have been so desperate for a for a streaming green light for so long just listening to that and being like you are also the prince who's known by pretty much everyone in that country but someone suggested the streamers I wonder who that someone was I love I love that those are the conversations they have uh, with their friends their friends go oh what about streaming you know that's a thing you yeah. can do streaming I can have a Netflix a thing <laughs> I loved it I loved it I thought it, was it was good great. it was a good I thought it was a good interview I think we've just by the way Oprah for GMB boom I think we three of us are three of the 11.3 million who watched it live right yeah yeah it did feel quite of a surreal moment though I feel like for some reason that it didn't feel like real life for a moment mm. and I remember sitting back afterwards and thinking strange that that was a really big national moment and also just the, it was quite surreal seeing the royal family on Oprah. Mm. I've just loved this is ever so slightly off topic but we have had a week where I've not really heard the coronavirus like barely mm. even mentioned in a news bulletin and I'm just loving the Harry and Meghan news and I'm sorry for them and I'm sorry for the rift in their family but it is a pleasure to have different news which is really I think it's dramatic. What we all need it. Yeah, it's so dramatic I love it look it's been wonderful to have the two of you on as ever Hannah Bowler and John Elms have a fantastic week and let's talk next week thank you for listening to the broadcast news I've been senior reporter Max Goldbart.